Welcome to the Metal Zone podcast from February 23rd, 2019. I'm Tom. <laughs> and I'm Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> and on today's episode, we are talking about the current projects we are working on, which go uh, in line with... Uh, nasty fumes from SLA printers and some projects we are doing with uh, our resin printers at uh, at our shop. Um, then we have a really news-packed episode this week, uh, which is covering the drama around the Nozzle X and on other news regarding E3D, their new slice of Patheo. Yeah, we also have some more drama about Artillery 3D stealing Film and Frenzy's photos and using them for their own marketing. We talk about the Prusa newly released Mark III S and MMU 2S. Well, more about the Mark III S than the MMU. And yeah, a bit, bit more of a rant about Article 13. Um, I'm sure you all are super interested in that because it, it's going to affect all of you, us two in particular, but also all of you who are watching and listening. Um, for the topic of the week, we talk about 3D scanning, the methods that there are available to you, what they're best used for. And, you know, as a quick outro, we follow up with the printing on copper clad board and making PCBs like that. All right, Stefan, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing better, better. And that actually leads us into topic number one. I'm feeling fine now. I, I've not felt this good in a while um and i blame sla fumes <laughs> what a what a start to the episode so yeah projects my my project the last few well days i guess was putting in a, a ventilation unit into my basement studio it's a small room like 20 square meters or something um and it's completely enclosed um there's no fresh air circulating through and like the last few months of 2018 i i I went down there, I felt like my throat was getting achy and my nose was tensing up and I just, ah. And then I tried one thing. I took the one How Duplicator 7, an SLA 3D printer, took it outside into the shed and after we could serve to the, the studio get some fresh air, it was all better. Like I can now breathe down there. So now I have a, a ventilation unit in there that's constantly circulating heat and recovering uh, heat and moisture because I don't want to be pumping in moisture into a studio where you're printing with filament. Um, <laughs> so that's in there. That's 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 fine. And I still blame SLA fumes for this. I've, I need to get like an allergy test or something. I still need to find <laughs> someone who does that with resins. Mm -hmm. Did you did you just like um, drill a hole into one of your windows or how do you? I do was. I was thinking about the window, but we do have like an outside door, um, like a steel door. And mm -hmm. I actually 3D printed some inserts um, that are like, a, you know, doors like, you know, two inches thick or something. Yeah. So 50 millimeters. I printed some inserts that have like a grill on the outside and then plop through the door. And then you have a printed thread on the inside and it just clamps onto the door. It works perfectly. So that has some hoses on the inside. And that is... That's working well. That's and pretty cool. Is it? Yeah. Um, do you do the the energy recovery with like a heat exchanger on the inside, so like the cold air comes from the outside and is getting warmed by the warm air that is going yeah. to the outside? Yeah, that's pretty. So cool. that I've, it's it's not a, it's not a DIY build. It's a, like a readily available unit. It's a, what is it? Cinda Comfo Spot Fifty. So a really small unit that you typically drill a thirty centimeter hole into the outside wall <laughs> and just plop it in there. Um, and it has typically you have like the um, what's it called on your car when you when you 
cool your charged air. Um, Lari Lufkula, whatever. It's not just an, an aluminum heat exchanger. It's it's actually like a, a salt-loaded polymer matrix, something that also allows moisture to penetrate or to, ah, to okay. creep through. Um, so that basically the the absolute humidity of the air coming in and out is stays the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a pretty common yeah. thing in in well new houses nowadays that yeah. uh, you don't like get fresh air into your uh in into your apartment by just opening the door but this is constantly doing that and it's wasting way less energy i think it's it's mandatory even to have some sort of of energy recovery ventilation or heat recovery ventilation unit in in new buildings yeah Um, so yeah those those are becoming uh available and i've thought about putting some or something like that in into this apartment as well um just for energy efficiency and all that especially in, in winter and summer where temperature difference between inside and outside is so high yeah but then, yeah that's pretty cool but yeah sla fumes i also have two sla printers right here and always when i'm printing i just i don't really like it it's always yeah. smelling yeah you can have an enclosure around it that directly ventilates outside but um also for resin printing, the temperature is kind of a factor, so you don't want it to be like cooled all the time that way. And usually the the, the lamp which is on the inside helps for getting like a raised temperature um, in comparison to the outside environment. But yeah, it's it's always smelly. I noticed that with more expensive filaments, it's not that bad anymore. But still, with the with the resins, with the resins, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that they, they make or some some companies make full enclosures with like um, activated carbon filters and HEPA filters like um, matched together mm-hmm. that supposedly take out all those particles. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean if if you guys listening don't know what the issue with SLA is and with with the resins in general, this also applies to like epoxy resins. Um, the thing is, you're fine if you if you get it on your skin or if you get it you know if you breathe the vapors, you're fine for a while until your your body your immune system gets sensitized to it and after that it's just hell as if if you if you get past that point where your body reacts to them you you basically can't work with those anymore you can't be in the same room when, when somebody's using epoxy resin if you touch the thing you get hives and, and immune system reactions it can be downright threatening if you if you get your body to that point so even though, you know, if you're working with SLA resins or with any other resins, epoxy, those those sort of things, just be careful. Just because you're fine now doesn't mean that you're going to be fine forever. Use gloves. I, I always cringe when I pe- see people just smearing epoxy resin around with their fingers mm. because that's just, that is the exact thing that, that is going to get your immune system wrecked. Um, yeah, be careful, folks. <laughs> but that's really interesting because, well, you probably haven't been working that much with sla so far compared to other people who run like many printers at the same time but i i guess it not the the amount of material is is the thing just some people are more um more sensible so even though they only work with small amounts their body reacts faster just like with hay fever and things like that I mean, I've I've been working with epoxy resins, just the five minute epoxy for for forever, basically as a you know hobby adhesive. And I mean, I gotta say, I've not always been as careful as I should have been with those. So I might be kind of predisposition 
that a word uh, with from from that. Um, but also just the fact that the printer has been in the studio just always in there and I've been there for for hours at a time and you know basically daily mm. breathing in that that air that maybe had um, whatever fumes that that resin is giving off just accumulating there because it didn't have any any real airflow. Mm. So yeah. Well, it's it's well, nice that you figured that out. But speaking of SLA, I'm also currently, well, I haven't been doing much with SLA so far, but I'm always asking myself, what is the potential of SLA printing? And one thing is like the, the strength of the parts you can print with that. Is SLA only for like, um, well, a decorative pieces or can you even use it uh, for printing functional parts and the thing is that the technology gives you the ability to print really really um, finely detailed structures and if they would also be strong that would be pretty nice and there is just like with fdm 3d printing a large variety of different yeah. resins you can purchase um, so i'm currently thinking about like doing the test i do with my filaments also for some sla resins or oh, nice. some mdlp resins um just to see how they perform um because i'm really interested in that are there some applications where it is where it does make sense to use 3d printed parts uh, i mean or, the, the nice thing is you have no layer lines right you have like one solid mm -hmm. uh part that is uh uh, yeah, it, the strength is very strength and rigidity is very even throughout the part. Doesn't matter which direction you look at it. Yeah. Um, by nature, you also have 100% infill on everything, um, unless you you model it into your part and you mm. have little drain holes. But yeah, that's very nice. I'm 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 still expecting that SLA. If if you actually do test it with, uh, for example, that 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 hook you have. Mm -hmm. um, I expect it to be pretty brittle mm. um, to not give a lot before it breaks. So that's going to be interesting. I have. Um, so I, before I just been, I just have been printing with a normal resins that you use for decorative, uh, decorative parts. I have one bottle of, I think it's PO poly tough resin. So they are claiming that this is an engineering great material that you can use for mechanical applications so i'm quite interesting interested to take a look at that and i think also like the viewers would be really interested oh, to, yeah, to know how sure. it compares because there are many rumors around but no real tests that i have seen so far besides data sheets yeah sla is still this this quite new approach um and i think it's it's always going to be like a not a mainstream technology like FDM because I mean 3D printing is so popular because it's you can do it everywhere it's kind of clean it doesn't make a lot of noise it doesn't have really nasty fumes I mean you can smell the PLA but it's not that bad and SLA my experience with SLA is always that it's just such a huge mess and such a pain <laughs> to print it you always end up with like resin everywhere um and you need to you need to make sure that you're not like lifting the lid in the wrong moment. Uh, that sort of thing. Form labs apparently have solved that pretty well, where you never really get in contact with resin. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, what what machine are, are you printing on? Um, I have the Das 3D L120, um, which has been a Kickstarter machine, and um, I don't know if they have already delivered all of their Kickstarter backings, but this is the only real proper machine I currently have at home 
Right. So that's uh, an LCD. It's it's an LCD ba- yeah. based um, 3D printer. Um, I've never been working with a, a real SLA printer. Well, I have to say we have a Formulabs printer at work, but it's still in its packing just because <laughs> we currently don't have any space to put it. But hopefully in the next couple of weeks, uh, I'll also get, get to use this one. And it will be really nice to see the comparison of a... Um, a Formlabs printer where you have this enclosed system, you have the washing station and all of that compared to the more like hobby machines um, people currently having. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, that, that usability thing, I think is the, is the big differentiator between the, the machines yeah. right now. Um, of course, Formlabs also tout that they are an actual real SLA printer that works with a laser um, as opposed to an LCD or a projector, a DLP system. <sighs> yeah, I guess I guess in the end, at the resolutions that you're getting, it doesn't really matter that much which technology you're using. But, well. Everyone has his his or her, her preferences. Um, but maybe maybe staying with SLA, uh, Prusa has just been... Um, just been uh, releasing a well a blog post where they yeah. talked about when their SL1 will be shipping and also the upgrades to the Prusa Mark III and the MMU2. Yeah, so the Mark III S and the MMU2S, which is going to make it just like with the Mark II, really hard to talk about whether you're talking about more than one Mark III or a single improved Mark III because they're both <laughs> like Mark III's. Yeah. Uh, well, not, I think, not, but but is it is it Mark threes or Macass? Is it a three or an E? Don't start with that. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to end up in the <laughs> slick three R slicer discussion once again. Um, well, yeah. you probably also have been taking a look at the changes, and I think the changes are. I don't know if it's if it's minor or if it's a really interesting thing. So basically, for the Mark 3S and the Mark 2.5S, they have been changing their filament runout sensor um, yep. again. So before they had been using this optical sensor, um, which supposedly didn't work perfectly for all filaments. People were unhappy with it and uh, they switched back to a mechanical system. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen some filaments where it just doesn't work well, um, and that is just the nature of the beast. Um, they've done some some major improvements with uh, the new firmware, where the printer is actually going to tell you, hey, I'm recognizing that this might not work as well with the filament you're trying to load. Mm-hmm. Would you like to disable the sensor? Um, I think the, the optical sensor, nice idea. It's, it's good that it's in there, and when it works, it works really well. It's just that I don't think mine has ever triggered for like a film install um, with the Bontech drives in there and, uh, you know, a good hot end. Mm. Uh, I, I just don't get any clogs unless you have, <laughs> you know, dusty filament or whatever. Yeah. So that that ex- active checking whether the filament is, is still being fed, maybe not that necessary. Yeah. But that's so that's probably not um, working anymore. So they're. Yeah. Now they just have a filament runout detection, but no filament jam detection. I also, exactly. I can't really remember if I ever had a filament jam that was recognized by my uh, Mark 2.5. Um, so yeah, with the Bontech gears, as you just said, it's usually not that big of an issue, but that's kind of 
crosses out one of the features of of the Mark II, and, um, which is kind of yeah. sad. But yeah, well, um, it, well, it doesn't happen that often. Yeah, I mean, the I think that the feature of having just filament runout detection, where your spool is actually over and there's no more filament left on it, I think that that's much more useful because now it allows you, or that still allows you to use up the, those last bits of filament mm. on a spool where you have like, you know, 20, 30 grams left. And it's like, ah, I can't really print anything with it because I don't <laughs> know if it's going to be enough. So with any sort of sensor, um, I mean, these sensors aren't expensive. You can get them for, for like a dollar or something of AliExpress mm. uh, and just connect them to a spare GPIO on, on your board. It, it does do that. It checks whether there's still filament present. And if not, Marlon is going to say, hey, you know, maybe give me some fresh filament and I'm going to keep on printing. <laughs> do you know so, what are the major changes with the MMU2 or MMU2S? Uh, I've, I've, I've tried looking it up. Um, I think it's just small incremental bits, um, reliability stuff. Gotta say, I, I don't really know what the MME2S changes are, but I do know uh, one more change of the Mark III-S, um, and it still has to do with the tool head. Um, so previously, they, they've made that improvement where your um, cooling fan got a redesign and the fan wasn't well vertical. It got slanted mm -hmm. to 45 degrees, and now that entire thing, um, well, the hot and cooling as well, looks different, and it has like Venturi you know air channels or whatever which apparently don't do a lot but um <laughs> well the venturi channels already were there with my normal 2.5 for the at least for the cooling of the cold side of the hot end hmm, okay yeah so um but i have also seen some 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 pictures on twitter or something like that yeah. um where people were talking about that those venturi slots don't really help that much yeah i've, I've seen some gifs um where people took uh <laughs> took like a blown out candle and, and and you know demonstrate that there's not really being any air being sucked into that slot so yeah um and the, the that entire release of the mark 3 s and mu 2s was pretty stealthy like there was no announcement and people all of a sudden were getting the the mark 3 s versions and, and mu 2 s versions shipped mm -hmm. instead of the mark 3 uh they ordered yeah so I guess good launch on that. Um, not such a great launch on the SL1 that still hasn't shipped. <laughs> <laughs> but they have a date for it? Yeah, so end of end of March is now the final date that they expect uh, to ship, but like the original shipping date was mid-March 2018. Uh, mid-March, mid-December 2018. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's not quite on point. I mean, I didn't expect Fusion to ship on time and, and people should you know know that um but yeah let's let's hope um that that's actually going to be the time when they get them out and that's during murph so yeah nice timing perfect uh i'm also really excited that they finally said that they have their pi um pi covered um they're, they're coded beds they're coded beds yeah. um the process dialed in and they're gonna start mass production after a couple of trial runs because yeah. i don't have one of these powder coated beds and i just really like i would lo love to have one with a texture on it um but well, i can see if i have a spare i think i do <laughs> but you can't currently get them if you just buy the upgrade kit. You always get the um, just the normal one with the PEI sheet, which Stick works it. great. But I kind of really like this textured surface. Some people don't really like that, but yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. It yeah. gives like I, a more I, uniform look of the part. 
Yeah, yeah, that that was one of my big points with the Mark III uh, when I originally reviewed it. Man, that that is that is an old printer now. It's like it's over a year old. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just the the bottom surface is not this alien surface that is like perfectly smooth or glossy, and the rest of the print has a texture to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, originally I they they did ship me like two different versions, one that is mostly smooth and one that has that that classic characteristic texture to it um and the the mostly smooth one still has a bit of that unevenness simply mm-hmm. because it's it's a powder coating process it's never going to be perfect at least not with the way they i guess apply and bake it then mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. looking forward they... to hopefully sometime i i'll be able to <laughs> order one of the powder coated bats as a well after purchase <laughs> yeah I'll, i'll try to get one to, uh, to you because i, I think i have I, i have a spare somewhere perfect um yeah on other news um oh, yeah we, we have a big news section we today. have a really big news section today though, so that's probably covered most of the podcast um the nozzle x drama e3d's oh, yeah. new um Z- not zinc coated nickel plated um, high super sh- alloy yeah high temperature nozzle uh yeah can you maybe explain what what happened there and <laughs> okay what is the nozzle x let's let's start at the beginning um so ethereum have always had well always but for for the longest time they've had their standard brass nozzles they've had copper nozzles and they've always had hardened steel nozzles and I guess one of the issues they had with the hardened steel ones was, first of all, it's a raw surface. It's kind of a blackened, brunette. It's it's a chemically etched, I guess, surface um, that they come with. And also the alloy, the steel alloy that they were using for it, um, if you were using it ex- at extreme temperatures with the copper blocks and all, would soften over time so carbon would start to dig into it, um, which is like the main point why you even use a hardened steel nozzle. So they announced or engineered the Nozzle X, which is a, a new alloy. Um, and it also comes with a nickel super alloy, super hard coating, which is, I guess, um, how is it sputtered on? Is it chemically? I, I, gu- I guess it's like. chemically put on there. And it's right. supposedly really unsticky. So it's it's good for yeah. like, um, well, sticky materials starting from the edge PTG material. Well, that and also just by, you know, laying down filament, it's not going to drag the filament back up Mm. as the nozzle slides over it. So all good. That thing was released, was shipped. And a few days later, we saw from your Daily Micron on Twitter um, a few photos. I don't know if it were his, her photos um, originally, but we saw photos crop up where apparently, or it, it, it very much looks like the nozzle was not drilled properly or some somehow you know the the hole the orifice ended up not round and some of the photos look pretty horrible so yeah you look at those it's like wow how how, how do you even manufacture something like that it's, <laughs> it's crazy um so that that got a bit of traction and um i think it was always it was zoomed in phone cell phone photos um with classic lighting from one side so i think what happened is because the the bore is never perfectly you know sharp with the edges especially with the coating i think um you just get some shadow and it doesn't look you get some shadow some reflections and it it doesn't look round. your phone camera starts doing some processing on it and well so e3d published a blog post 
put it on there. Um, who, who is who's making that that microscope of theirs? Hakians. Um, yeah, so they they have like a Keyens inspection uh, microscope that that digitally measures out your your dimensions, um, and they they posted photos of that. It's it's like their production inspection uh, tool as well, where they sample some of their production run. Um, and they were like, "Well, guys, it, it you know it's round. It's <laughs> it's very well within tolerance." And yeah, I for, to me that was the end of the story. You know, we take good equipment, you measure it. Uh, versus you take your phone camera and you look at something and it, it doesn't look good. Well, it's, you know, but your daily micron kept pushing back and it was, it was like, ah, you know, good equipment used improperly still gives you, you know, bad results. And ah. <laughs> so, so, so the promise by, by your daily micron was, okay, I'm going to get these nozzles to, you know, someone with a good microscope and we're going to investigate those and we're going to look into those. And, uh, that was the end of the story. So far, nothing has happened on that front. And that was almost a month ago or at least over 20 days ago now. So yeah, apparently I'm a troll because I'm, I'm asking about, you know, how that is going and, and I'm, I'm, I'm being mean here. Um, but Yeah. It's a it's a pretty one sided discussion because one side is is you know actually looking into things and the other so far has only made some claims and some uh, cell phone photos. Yeah, it's it's nice that E three D are handling this thing that openly. Uh, they usually take their QC serious. They are also saying that they just can't be one hundred percent perfect. But from everything they have done so far. Um, the the first batches seem to be fine um and they have also been posting a couple of pictures where if you take a look at the the orifice from a from the wrong angle the nozzle or yeah the hole just looks a little bit like teardrop shaped yeah i mean i'm not saying that e3d is like infallible and they're they're perfect and they can you know just get everything right um from the from the start and uh, people have been quoting the uh titan extruder bearing story uh about this and yes (laughs) they've shipped products that weren't perfect yeah um and that was uh, i think that the bearing was not properly sized and, and was under too much tension or something um they do screw up everyone screws up every every once in a while um but so far, I don't see that. I don't th- see any like solid evidence that the nozzle X is a screw up. Yeah, I, I think I think we we should rely on on actual evidence more before we we go out and, and shout ah this is bad. <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. Do you actually have a nozzle X? Do you have a nozzle X? I don't think I have one. What are you usually using in your Prusa printers? Are you using the standard brass nozzle or are you going with the hard steel ones? So I do have most of my machines on the standard brass nozzles. Um, I do have one Mark II that has just a standard hardened steel nozzle in it. And in my experience, they it, it prints almost identically to the brass nozzle to the point where you, you can use the same settings and and you know, if you don't make any changes to your slicing and profile and temperature, you can get away and get a good print out of it. Um, but yeah, I don't print carbon fiber filaments that much simply because I don't see the like the, the, the massive difference that, um, you know, it would imply by having that massive price difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get you. Yeah, be- because I'm also, well, always using a hardened steel nozzle in my Prusa. 
just because I sometimes use abrasive filaments. I also already experienced the problem that I had been using a brass nozzle before. And even though a filament supposedly shouldn't have been abrasive, <laughs> it, the nozzle yeah. looked kind of bad after a couple of prints. Yeah. How did you inspect those nozzles? Uh, How did you clean them up? That's I think that's the better question. Well, <laughs> um, I'm sometimes I'm just using cleaning filament. In my experience, right. that works kind of well. Um, it's not really necessary for the easily removable ones, but if you have an Ultimaker where you just can't really uh, screw out the nozzle easily and clean it out. And just buy a new print core, right? You, <laughs> yeah, it's just 120 bucks. <laughs> it's a good but system, but they're... <laughs> And you can't actually you can't actually get replacement nozzles for the Ultimaker. That's horrible. You have to buy it totally. Yeah, you, you just buy it. You just buy a new print core. Like, yeah. why would you want to replace the nozzle? Come yeah. on, come on. <laughs> Otherwise, so sometimes with the brass nozzle, I just screw it out and then take a torch and torch it. But I have right. also already been ruining some brass nozzles with that if they just get too warm and then they start melting. Yeah. Um, but usually I just use um, a um, a brass brush and I clean the nozzle after um, every couple of prints when there are some right. residues on the uh, on the nozzle. And I'm a huge fan of cold pulls. Oh yeah, that's usually cold, cold pulls on both sides, like the inside, and you, you can you can actually smush some nylon filament onto the bottom of your nozzle and encase it, and then you know as the mm -hmm. nozzle is heating up, just pull it up as pull it off as one chunk. That's ah oh, <laughs> so satisfying, oddly satisfying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, usually when I change my my, my uh, filaments in my printer, I do cold pulls just when the nozzle reaches like 60 to 70 degrees. And that already gives me a nice indication if I have a moisture problem because you can already see if the thing you have pulled out has lots of uh, bubbles in there, which yep. I really like. And also you can see the internal shape of the nozzle and even the uh, you can measure the diameter of the of the nozzle itself um right yeah which also works kind of well and i always take a look at that and i also find it oddly satisfying just to see this perfect negative shape of the internal surface of the nozzle yeah yeah i've had cases where i was printing uh pva especially in <sighs> multiplexer setups um and you can see with the cold pull yeah you might get the nozzle bore itself but then that that bevel or that that mm. end where the drill bit goes in um just stops being sharp and it, it, it starts getting rounded over and you can even see the restriction where you know you start getting that that thinner and thinner and longer and longer channel where just the, the black soot um starts caking up the mm. inside of your nozzle yeah pva um, is is horrible if it just is too hot for um well too long if, if it's yeah. too hot for too long then it really gets this sandy grain structure it, yeah it's not not fun to print with unless you've got it perfectly figured out but again the multiplexer setup um we've actually gotten a comment on on youtube i'm um, like hey um i like my my mmu2 with pva and pla um I've not gotten multiplexes to work that well yet, but um, apparently <laughs> it's possible with a with the perfect settings. Um, should we should we keep going with E three D? Yeah, because they have not only been defending themselves with the nozzle X, but they now also need to defend themselves with Pathio. 
Um, so it's Pathio. Just just to rectify that, I think I wasn't I wasn't very clear in the in the video. Um, Pathio is an independent company of E3D. They share the same building. Um, they share the same coffee maker, but um, they are like legally their own entity. So it is the Pathio companies, E3D Skunkworks, whatever they're they're called now, um, and they're making a slicer. They're making. Pathio and last last uh, podcast where we were kind of giggling about it. Yeah, it's, that's not really too much <laughs> because uh, I mean I, I've signed an NDA with this. Um, I've seen it last September when he got the September October when I got the the tour of E3D and um, you know I had to blur out some some whiteboards and some stuff. But um, yeah, Stefan, you've been you've been trying Pathio out as well, right? Yes. So I got um, my version of Pathio just at the end of last week so a couple of days before the real release and right. played around with it over the weekend um but i was a little bit disappointed <laughs> it's not just you um so i know that they have been working on that software for the last 18 months or something yeah, like so that with 18 months is almost time frame. 10 people there um the graphical user interface looks nice the workflows are great but feature wise it is ju just at the moment ah, not comparable to to any of the usual um, slicers you use so at the moment i don't feel that i have a real benefit using um patio um so that that was the reason why I was a bit disappointed. I was hoping that for their first release, they already have one of their key uh, uh, features implemented already. And I also tried out, for example, the um, support structure with the teeth. So the three-dimensional right. support structure. And supposedly in the version, at least I am having, um, it is not activatable. I don't know if you have already been trying it. No, so I've I've not updated Pathio since I made that video. Um, I, I think I should, but the the very first version that I got um, had supports just completely broken. You, I think you could make some more choices than the current version mm. or the, the last version I tried. Um, but the version that you know when when the video came out earlier this week, um, that was the version that just has those um, zigzag support settings mm. or, or what's it called pin needle needle support thing uh, yeah which <laughs> which which this as sanjay told me should work really well if you have them tuned in and i was really hoping that they have one of these features already implemented in the first version because that would make it uh then it would be worth spending the time on the slicer if it has a feature that none of the other current slicers really have. It works, it yeah. slices, but um, it's just not. It, it's far from what from the results you get from from Cura or Slick Three R or whatever. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that there's there's two ways that they can go is. The, the first one and kind of the boring one, but that's probably the one that people are going to want is, hey, please implement this feature I've seen from this other slicer. Please do this, do that, do that. Um, so you get feature parity with everything that's mm -hmm. out there. So you, you kind of have this this big mishmash out of uh, all the existing slices and, and take like, this one does that well, so let's use this here. Um, that is the, the kind of boring way that they could go. Um, and they've not achieved that because I mean, it's, it's still missing so much stuff that uh, 
that isn't even just comfort features and, and premium features, but it's just usability. Um, the slicer right now is not uh, something that I would use productively. Um, the other route they could go is to say, okay, we're going to have like these two or three features that only we have that are really unique to to our experience and you know all the other stuff well we'll we'll get to that eventually but here's a reason to use this slicer right now because Mm. no other software can do this and i think that's the more exciting and the more engaging version of of it i think that's the only way how they well can achieve their goal since it's not an open source software they want to have right yeah it, it will be a or there will be a paid version later on when they are at this possibly, yeah. possibly. Um, and in order to get people to pay for their software, they need to have outstanding features. Uh, none of the other slicers have just like simplify 3d used to have their, um, uh, custom support structure. Yeah. Well, it still has it. It's still, it's, it still uh... has it, but they are not anymore. The only ones, uh, that do have yeah. that feature. Um, yeah. and, if they are not managing to accomplish that in the future, it's going to be hard for them, but they are on a good way. Um, I just think they released it a little bit too early because I don't know how many really even downloaded and tried it out. But as I just said, at the moment, there is no real reason um, to use the slicer as hard as that sounds. Yeah. Um, exactly my my conclusion as well. Um, I think they were trying to to catch that moment where where Simplify 3D was getting a lot of flack for <laughs> you know paid upgrades and the version 4.1 or 4.0 or whatever whichever one uh, isn't working well for a lot of people and they're getting crashes and they're getting issues with profile downloads. And of course, if you come in and say, "Hey, we've got by the way, we've got this new thing now," um, of course, that's going to attract a lot of attention. Mm. So, I, I think. So, I mean, I've been thinking about, I, I've I've criticized them a lot on, you know, not being a fully featured slice and releasing so early as well, because I, just like you, I've been disappointed with the release. But here's the thing. This is, this is a beta release. Um, and as with anything else that is beta or pre-release or, you know, Kickstarter writing you up going, hey, would you like to try out my product? I'm launching this Kickstarter in a week. Would you like to promote it, please? Um, it's like none of the stuff that we criticize right now matters until it's actually a product, until it's actually shipping. Yeah. So because E3D are not charging money for this yet, yeah. um, because it's it's free right now, it's like, okay, whatever. If it's if it's no good, then use something else. But you're not, you're not, not getting anything that you've paid for. Mm. Um, and by the time it releases, it's probably going to be a vastly different product. And whatever I say about it right now, it's not going to matter anymore because it's a different <laughs> thing. Um, they, they laid a really yeah. good foundation for that. Um, they built everything from the ground up. They have an internal structure, which might make it possible to do some pretty interesting things. Other slicers just can't do because they work internally differently. Um, the GUI is nice. The ideas they have in there, um, the uh, ideas they have in the direction of sharing profiles for, for printers and filaments is something which is pretty nice in my opinion. Um, they are aiming towards the more professional market with their scripting features and all of the things like that. Um, and they will be implement, and they hopefully will be implementing, um, <laughs> outstanding features like, for example, this, uh, three dimensional needle support structure, which might be a thing in the future where you say, okay, 
I will buy that piece of software because that really helps me to get better print quality out of it. Yeah. Um, I still hope that people are currently downloading software, taking a look at that, and then just give a little bit of feedback, constructive feedback, and uh, tell, okay, uh, they are, this is not working for me, or um, yeah. could you maybe go a little bit more in that direction? And this is, I think, also what E3D is aiming for, to get feedback from the community yeah, and see if they're heading towards uh, the right direction. Because otherwise, they they could have been working like another year on that software, release like a really kind of finished product, But if it is not what the market is looking for, um, all of the effort is just worthless. Yeah. yeah, if you just work in a vacuum and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, we've made this really great thing and mm. it comes out and people are like, oh, well, this this isn't this isn't quite what I expected. It's interesting. <laughs> it's like, hmm. Yeah. Um, again, I'm, I'm hoping it's not, I'm hoping that they are going to focus on those unique selling points, those USPs, um, instead of just going for feature parity with everything else, because I, that would be boring. And we have slices that do feature parity already, but yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Still right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I guess we are get, uh, heading to the last point in our uh, news feed. And that is um, some things about a 3D printing 3D printer manufacturer. I haven't been hearing anything from um, until like a couple of weeks ago, and that's Artillery 3D, where uh, again they are using or promoting their printer with pictures of prints that haven't. Well, they are. Uh, they're not giving credit to the makers of the initial model and they actually haven't even printed on their own machine because these pictures come from um a guy named filament frenzy yeah on twitter uh and selling his photos that have not been uh, been printed on that machine as prints you can make with their printer and that is kind of bad it's like it's not just that it's false advertising right because it's it's prints that aren't made on the machines you know being advertised as prints that come from that machines uh it's also disrespectful it's just a smack in the face mm -hmm. you take someone's photos that you know they've they've spent time on you know photographed it well tuned the profiles i mean Uh, Film and Frenzy, Tom is, is known for, for having simplified 3D profiles for so many printers um, and, and tuning those in really well. And, you know, that's been his work. He's he's, he's worked hard to get that mm. print perfect. And then, you know, Artillery 3D comes in and says, hey, look, look at what we made. <laughs> that is, I don't know, man. I don't know. And apparently they've also been pretty aggressive with sending out emails and, hey, please review our machines to... Um, I think Joel and definitely to Angus, um, where he had to block their their uh, email address. <laughs> um, they've sent a few emails to me as well. I'm, I've I've had Niels deal with them. I'm, you know, don't don't want to be bothered. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Supposedly, well, I mean, you never know with these companies, right? They're they're, they're kind of like cookie cutter companies from from somewhere um, in the Asian region, whether that's. China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, maybe not Taiwan, not so much, but somewhere in that area, it's hey, we've you know we're taking these parts, we're putting it into a frame, and if you look at the artillery mm. 3D printer, it looks pretty unimpressive. Um, 
and it's just like, hey, here's a brand name. Let's promote it. Maybe some people mm. buy it. It could it could be anyone. Mm. It, Artillery 3D is not the only company that does this, uh, to be frank. Nope. Yeah. There are the photoshopped printer images where they just oh, yeah. photoshopped any part on the build platform of the printers. Um, there are other companies that advertise their printers with models where they don't really give credit to the creator of the models. And there are even ones that steal pictures from prints that haven't been uh, printed on their machines and sell them for their own. Yeah. Just horrible business practice. So artillery 3D, uh, I, I was almost going to say something rude here, but um, you, you can read my Twitter if you, if you want to know what, what I think about them. Uh, I'm not going to be reviewing their printers and I'm not going to recommend anyone to buy their printers because, uh, well, false advertising and, and completely disrespectful against the community. That's just two things that are absolute no-goes, I think. Definitely. Uh Cool. Do you want to talk about Article 13 at all? <laughs> Do you have the energy to, to take on that? Well, that well, you just started. Maybe just talk about that for a couple of minutes and then go to the interesting, more interesting things. God, okay. Uh, Article 13, European copyright reform. You know, copyright reform is well overdue in, in our regions here. Um, the US has something like fair use, which is fantastic, I think. We don't. Um Anyways, doesn't have anything to do with that. European Union has just um, moved forward on a uh, copyright reform that would require any platform that users are able to upload content to to make sure that that content is not infringing on copyright, on, on copyright that isn't licensed to them. And the amount of uh, incompetence that some of the politicians involved in this um, have demonstrated is just... Ah, horrible, horrible. Um, I mean, Axel Voss, that's like the guy who's who's rightfully so been getting the flag for this. Um, he doesn't seem to have an understanding of, you know, what he's even promoting here, what he's pushing into, into law. So basically, um, yeah, what Article 13 or that, that entire copyright reform would require um, platforms, as in someone who runs a forum like me, uh, or pages like Thingiverse, where you imagine, etc. Unless they're like under a certain revenue or are less than three years old, and you know, <laughs> three years is just oh yeah, cool. I've I've got I've got the domain now. So <laughs> basically, anyone it would affect. So they need to make sure. That, or first of all, the the big thing is so far, if a user uploaded something copyrighted, like a pirate movie or something, um, the platform would be okay. It it would be the user that can be prosecuted for this. Now the platform is fully accountable for the content they use upload. And they also need to implement some sort of a system that will need to scan every piece of, of material that is uploaded before it goes online. And that is just something that, you know, is, is not viable. It's not technically possible. Look at YouTube content ID and how well that is working. Um, so yeah, right now that's that article 13 well, the, the legislation that contains that Article 13, which is the, the kind of the critical one, and Article 11 and, and a few other ones as well, um, has not been put into law yet. Um, it's it's what it's going to be, a EU directive or whatever that then the countries have to sign into law. Um, but if it goes through, I will probably need to take the form offline 
Um, and we're going to have to see what happens to pages like Thingiverse, etc. It the, the legislation is written to go after Facebook or, or YouTube or uh, you know those big platforms where somebody might upload a, a copyrighted uh, cooking recipe. Who knows? Bad <laughs> things, right? Um, but effectively, it's going to hurt the small companies because they don't have a way or a means of implementing those filters. That you know, it's saying, "Oh no, we're not requiring you to use filters." Actually, filters are like the only the only way to uh, fulfill these requirements. So yeah, it's gonna hurt the smaller platforms and the larger ones like Facebook are just gonna go like, ah, whatever, come get me. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so they have not um, yet voted on that Article 13. Yeah, so it's it's not just Article 13. So the the thing is, it's the uh, the the actual text of the legislation is is kind of finished and this is um, gonna go up to vote. What is it, the EU Rat or EU? Some some final organ within the European Union is gonna have to sign that uh, into law, and it's gonna have to <coughs> um, actually yeah move it forward. So far, it's just that the the actual text is done. If you guys care about the free internet, all of you listening or watching, um, you know that there are there are ways of of you know telling your politicians, uh, the folks that you support that are in the European um, Parliament, whatever that the next step there is, you know you can send them an email. Not everyone is a bot, and that that's actually one of the arguments that uh, Axel Voss has been making when he got thousands of emails um, from people going like, "Hey, dude, what the." are you doing um it was like ah, yeah you know all of those came from gmail accounts like you know google is, is just sending bots after me here yeah yeah just screams for, for competence now for for the record i'm the european union fantastic thing uh, fantastic organization sometimes they screw up they're people after all um and this is this is kind of a screw up that is going to affect us as creators um, because who knows what what YouTube is going to have to do, mm. or you know, other pa publishing platforms, and it's also going to make the internet a less free place for all of you. So it's it's in your interest. The, the only the only ones who will be, uh, who will be profiting from this is is like big media, the big movie companies or whatever, um, and like small creators like us just have <laughs> have a ton of extra work, a ton of legal risk when when publishing things and uh, or providing platforms like a forum don't really have anything to gain from this. So from our perspective, it's not really a great legislation that's going to come our way. Yeah, mm. I totally understand you. <laughs> mm. should, should we head on from that sad topic? Yeah, cool. Let's, let's, let's move on to something productive. <laughs> <laughs> so I have suggested for the topic of the week that we will be talking just a little bit about 3D scanners. So 3D printing is something we usually talk about a lot, but um, we both have already been working with uh, 3D scanners on our own. You have yes. a... Uh, Einscan. 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 Einscan something. Which is a structured light uh, 3D scanner. Yes. So the way it works is it has like a... It looks like a connect head. Um, and it has a, a small LED projector that projects like varying light patterns. And then offset from that, it has a camera that picks up those patterns and looks where those patterns are actually shifted left, right, up, down um, from, you know, because it, it's looking at perspective. So that is structured light and that works with 
any surface that is non-reflective basically yeah and not black <laughs> <laughs> or not 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 um what's the word it's not glossy it, there's a word that describes this how glossy is whatever so any any matte non-black mm. surface so yeah i have been working with photogrammetry a bit and this is also a well well this is a technique where you take a couple of pictures of the part you want to scan in and then a software calculates um the your 3d object um it at first calculates the position where the camera was in space where you like went around your ob object and if you have an object which has structures so where um we don't have just a uniform color or something like that it also gives really really nice results and it can be done with yeah. uh, it can be done with a with a smartphone there are a couple of smartphone apps that can be used for that uh, you can take your good dslr and go around objects and get pretty detailed um pretty detailed uh, uh scans out of it uh the only thing Thing that is problematic with that technique is that as i said the parts need to have some structure on them so um yeah, there's some texture, some texture right? that, yeah. that's the right term uh, because otherwise the algorithm doesn't work and um it is not to scale at the beginning so um you get an arbitrarily sized part out of it um that you need to scale with uh, some reference um reference measurements um, but it's also working pretty well and um, there are lots of open source software tools um, in order to convert the pictures into 3d models and also a couple of other um, well commercial software uh, packages yeah. like uh, sapphire 3d which i have been using for for quite a bit which is a really nice software package there's a um, and and the thing is it, it scales. I mean the, the models are not too scale, but it's a very scalable process. Mm -hmm. Where the the structured light one that I have is it has a little turntable, and it's you, you can use it without that and just move the scanner around, and it's limited to like a, I think seventy centimeter box mm -hmm. or something. Um, and that's already photogrammetry. Yeah. So, and that's already pretty big with a, a seventy yeah. centimeter um, uh, box. Yeah, I think that the premium model goes a bit bigger, but yeah. whatever. Photogrammetry is used at any scale. They they literally have drones flying through the Alps and mapping out entire mountain ranges, basically. If, so you have a if you have ever been in Google Maps in one of the larger cities, um, the three D maps they have in Google Maps are all done using photogrammetry. So they had they had planes flying over these places and uh, with the photos that were captured from different angles, they can calculate really, really detailed, um, well, models of, of the earth and the cars yeah. and the trees and everything which is there. Was, it's unbelievable. Was that actually planes or was that from, from satellite photos? Uh, I'm not sure. I would assume these were plain um, uh, images because you need some kind of inclination angle that that works out but i could be wrong there right i, I would right. i would but, bet on airplanes but i i'm not sure okay but same process you take your 2d photo which has no depth or positional mm -hmm. information well i guess with a with a plane or with drones you have that gps as a as a reference but you don't need that mm -hmm. and then the software 
you know, learns. Matches well, pictures. Learns, learns is the wrong word. Yeah, it matches where, where, the, where the photo was taken from and then you looks, again, at textures and matches textures uh, to each other and, you know, by perspective, again, mm-hmm. um, makes out where those details are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, again, same thing. It works on perspective. You just take a ton of photos from the same angle from the same perspective you don't get any 3d effect um so you actually need to move around your your object so if we were to scan something like you know regular size palm size thing um you'd use what 20 to 50 photos maybe Mm -hmm. and you end up with a a scan that has the original texture so an actual you know colored scan and you know is, is dimensionally Usually, usually okay. There are some artifacts when you have like glossy bits and reflective things, um, and areas that have no texture. But overall, gives you pretty good results. Definitely. And the last, well, technique that is commonly used for three D scanning is well, laser. <laughs> Did you find something? The hair in my lens. <laughs> Uh, the last technique that is commonly used for three D scanning is uh, a laser scanner. Or so I have a very low grade um, Cyclop 3D scanner, which used to yeah. be a, uh, I think, a Kickstarter a couple of years ago, where you basically project a laser line on your object and capture the laser line or the distorted laser line with a camera. Yeah. And using triangulation, you can then recalculate your 3D object. It's kind of a way in kind of a way similar to structured light scanning because if you're using structured light scanning you basically just project like um tenth or hundreds laser lines yeah hundreds of lines on your object so it's faster um but the thing is with um the laser you are usually using um you can also work with um, you can work with parts where the illumination is not that critical and you are more flexible so you can also get uh, these 3d scanners scanners in a handheld format so you can like take them around your car and scan your car in if it's not reflective and if you have a matte finish on your car or 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 bigger <laughs> objects so structured light scanning is usually only used for smaller objects because um you have a, a stationary setup uh, these uh, laser line scanners are usually or can also be used for bigger objects are a little bit more more flexible um yeah as i said i have one of these Cy- cyclops scanners i also did a live stream i think even well it was more than a year ago and i have been playing around with it for ages but never really got it to work properly which is unfortunately yeah, yeah so the the, the Cy- cyclop that's cyclop. A, a bq speak you yeah it's bq right? actually yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so um i'm not sure if that was kickstarter but that is that is a fully open source yeah. scanner and you, you can build those with uh basically they use just a cheap webcam and a line laser and a turntable mm-hmm. That's like the base premise for them, right? Yep. You have your, your your setup. You have one laser that is offset from the camera just with the structured light as with the structured light. And you have a turntable that turns and, and by where the line is offset, you, you scan. Um, yeah, same same with me. I've not gotten those to work particularly well. Um, the... Yeah, the, the thing is, it's, it's also limited by perspective. So if you have... Well, I guess because this thing is in range. If you have like this handle, which is of course fantastic mm-hmm. for for audio listeners, but um, anything that is occluded 
from sight um, where the laser can't reach in, but the camera still sees it, it's not going to get scanned. Mm. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. But for example, if you have a cup and lay the cup sideways, one side of that cup is not going to get scanned because the laser can't reach in there mm. while the um, while the camera still picks it up. Well, you can, so, you can use multiple scans and then merge them um, true. together. But it's, it's always going to be... Uh, <laughs> It's always going to be a pain to to match those up. It's kind of the same thing with the structured light, mm. with the EinScan. Um, you can also merge multiple scans together. Um, whereas with, with photogrammetry, the, you know that's just the nature of the game. You always have all your photos as one scan. It's all getting merged. Um, yeah, you you can't really reach into like deep deep cavities with structured light or laser line scanning. Mm. Now, as far as as like detail reproduction goes, um, those three approaches have like a, a pretty wide range um, and pretty stark differences between each other. Um, where you know, with the EinScan, um, I've been getting incredible detail out of the scans, um, even though I, I only have the lower end model and the you know the the better one supposedly has like twice the details. It's still like you get every little speck like this table has just a natural wood structure that would get picked mm. up um the mesh of this microphone which has like 0.5 or 0.4 millimeter holes those would get picked up maybe not as holes but as texture so structured line structured light with the iron scan fantastic reproduction on the other hand the cyclop or laser line scanners Maybe it's because the webcams we're using aren't that fantastic. Well, yeah, the the the, the resolution <laughs> of your scans is dependent on the camera system you're using. Yeah. You can't really um, get more details than the pixel of your camera is delivering you, even though the some of the scanners use subpixel um, accuracy. Yeah. But still, there is a physical limit. Um, but yeah, depending depending on the the scanner you're using, the the objects and the details you you can scan um, vary, but um, it kind of depends on the um, the setup you're using. So you can get incredible details with uh, uh, photogrammetry if you have a macro lens and you really take pictures from very close up. But yeah. you can have it the totally different way uh, as you see in Google Maps, you can scan whole, whole cities with that. And just the resolution is not that good, but you don't need it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the thing with um, so software, the software that's being used with these tools, um, BQ has their own software that is being used with the Cyclop um, that does the processing on your computer. It's, it's not that intense. The EinScan also has a, a software that comes with it, which is a proprietary piece of software, which uses a lot of resources and actually demands a an NVIDIA chip to use CUDA um, with it. Otherwise, it's going to be dead slow. And even <laughs> if you have a good NVIDIA graphics card, it's still pretty slow because it's a, a ton of points that it's kind of mashing together. With photogrammetry, you get a, a bit of a wider choice of software solutions, some that run locally, some that run in the cloud, which is just somebody else's computer. But um, what what's, what's your favorite uh, photogrammetry software right now? Um, as I said, I am using um, Sapphire 3D. I think it's called Sapphire 3D. Um, it's an Italian company. They have a free version where you can load in. Steam, which allows you to use, uh, it's 150 or even 500 images. And then there's a really professional version where you have 
unlimited capabilities or only your PC kind of limits the uh, amount of pictures you can use. Um, it is working really well. I have also tried the um, open source tools. There are some uh, two really good videos on the Prusa 3D uh, YouTube channel where... Yeah. Um, where they um, did two scanning projects there and show how you can use the the open soft uh, open source tools to to um, well convert the images to 3D models, um, but there are still plenty of other software, uh, plenty of other tools around. Also, Autodesk used to have a really good one, which is not available anymore. Uh, they they used to have Catch, which was the the original one two three D software, which was horrible. Um, when it worked, it worked great. Um, but uh, well, they, they they cancel it. It's not available anymore. Yeah. Um, but it was like okay because you had to upload all the files and the upload process and the processing was just super buggy. Um, not that I would expect anything else out of Autodesk, but um, yeah. Then then they had Recap, which is like the more professional version, but also had like a free version, which worked a lot better. But I think still used the same engine. Mm. And I think that is still around. Yeah. Uh, but don't quote me on that. Yeah. But, well, yeah. application for 3D scanners. So you have been oh, yeah. releasing a a video where you scanned a part of your, was it compost yeah, pile? Yeah, compost bin pile, yeah. <laughs> so thing that you cannot buy, you scan it, you reprint it, and it's still working to this day. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the plastic compost bin is falling apart, but, um, <laughs> you know, at least that part that I printed is holding up. <laughs> so this is reverse engineering. So you can use... Um, 3D scanners to reverse engineer or in the most simple case, just scan the part. You get an STL from the scanning process, make it watertight in the end and directly print it out again. Yeah. And just just a quick note on that. Um, people have been discussing, hey, is that actually, you know, from, from a copyright perspective, is that actually legal? But the thing is, copyright applies to art. And a mechanical part is not art, so you can copy those and do whatever you want with them, basically. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're infringing on patents. That's a different story, but yeah. copyright, no problem. Yeah. Um, you can even go a step further, um, scan in the STL file and then load it into a CAD package and do really reverse engineering in the CAD software that you get a proper CAD part out of it. That's how... Many others are, are using it. Um, if you, I, I, I used to know a guy who had a professional um, reverse engineering business and they always bought the latest cars, took it apart completely, <laughs> scanned and everything, and then sold that, well, these results to other companies. No. I don't know where they came from, but yeah, you can uh, make up your mind about that uh, on your own. Interesting approach, yeah. Yeah, but um, this this is also something you can use uh, use it for. Three D scanning is used, um, for example, at your dentist. Uh, if you have a a, a real professional oh, young yeah. dentist, um, they don't. Um, sometimes they don't use casts anymore of your teeth. They directly three D scan them and then do all of the things. If you need a new tooth or a or brackets um, in the PC, that's also something you can do with it. It's not something which probably everyone is doing, um, but it's also something you could do. And then um, one thing where I use 3D scanning a lot at work, at least, is metrology. So, yeah, um, yeah 
we do 3D scanning to check the dimensions of our 3D printed metal parts at work. So yeah. um, you, you have a CAD model and many assume that the CAD model you print out is then perfectly your 3D printed part. But just due to inaccuracies during the printing process and especially uh, warping or deformation due to thermal stresses and things like that your parts can get quite crooked in the end and um, 3d scanning just well scans the whole surface then you do a comparison to your um, cat part and you know how <laughs> how bad your part is or even use this information to pre-deform your part so you kind of um, have a crooked um stl in the beginning you print it out and then it is um just like the well just like you want it to be that's also a pretty interesting application yeah and that's that's actually something that is being used pretty much everywhere um i know from from sheet metal processing um you have entire tool sets and, and entire software yeah. packages that do like the the back spring Spring back, spring, spring back, back, spring back. Um, from you know your, your sheet metal stamps, um, and that simulate that, and then you go in with your scanner and scan the thing, and you feed that back into the software, and it adjusts for how much it actually deformed uh, from where you thought it would go. That's something that that is very real in the industrial world mm. right now, and, and very useful. But I mean, for for makers people that are actually listening to this podcast uh, I, I think by the way let, let us know in the comments what why, why are you listening are you a maker or are you using this stuff for for your job um where where can they use 3d scanning um i think so so i, I think that the first thing we, we we kind of need to um establish is that the the models you get out of a 3d scanner are not something that you can really um well they're not the same as if you would have constructed it in say fusion 360 from scratch yep unless you have a software package that actually converts your mesh or your point cloud, actually <laughs> what you're getting, uh, back into a parametric solid. Mm. There's some packages that do that somewhat automatically. Yeah. Um, but they're not something that you're that you're going to be using as a, as a maker typically. It's th doesn't F Fusion, I think Fusion has something like that. Um, Fusion right? has the sculpt tool. It does, well, yeah, it can actually convert an STL file, which you basically get after the point cloud reconstruction um, into a real solid part, but it is just don't use it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Don't use it. That's yeah. a that's a good tip. Um, so basically you get your you get this this kind of messy, non-perfect STL out of it. So I mean what what you can definitely do is like you, you mentioned you can you can measure it. You can take it into you know NetFab or, or a CAT package and just measure you know how big is this hole, how large is this feature. If you have something that is too scale, if you're using mm -hmm. a structured light scanner or you had a size reference in your scan, you can also, uh, for example, with phone cases, um, you can also take your phone scan, uh, well the scan of a phone, and take it into a CAT package and construct around that mm -hmm. and just work off of those surfaces. Maybe not reference them, but actually you know line stuff up and make sure it, it fits and then tweak it after first print. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, how else would you be using this practically. Well, if you're a designer, you can 3D scan your designs and share your designs online. That's yeah. something. And th th that's actually how how a lot of the the movie visual if 
visual effects, whatever, is, is being done where you have a, a sculpted part that is that is hand mm. sculpted and then it's being scanned and reprinted at a larger scale or with a few details or just reproduced um, if you want more than one part, if you don't want to cast it from, from a resin. Yeah. Um, you already said like a reference for, for um, like reconstructing something, using it as a blueprint. Uh, I don't know. Mesh mixer? Mesh. Mashing up two physical parts, um, because I mean that that's what mesh mixer is really great at. Where you have you know one scanned object, and for example, you have your your bunny, and you want to put a, a golem head on on it and uh, <laughs> mash those up. That's something that you could do physically. You could just mash the head of of one of them and, and, and hot glue it on. But you can also do it digitally. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting because it's it's. Kind of like SLA printers, it's this technology that we have, but we still have to really figure out how to best use it. Mm. Um, and as software catches on, applications catch on. Um, but I mean, the, the good thing is, for, especially photogrammetry, everyone has the tools to use this. There are free software packages uh, or, or cloud services out there that you can just upload your stuff to. Um, any phone camera is good enough. As long as you um, move around the object and don't move the object itself, but that's that's kind of the basic photogrammetry uh, <laughs> rule set there, I guess. And yeah, you can you can just try it out. Play it's around free. with it's, it. Yeah, it's it's an afternoon that you can you can spend on it, and you can get some really great results from it if you know how to make use of it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So yeah, as, as you just said, it's it's not something for everyone, but it has its applications. And I f sometimes find it like really satisfying just to see, even from a photogrammetry scan, to get the digital uh, representation of the scanned part out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you do get the texture with the photogrammetry scan, um, and that can sometimes be a bit misleading because it looks like a more detailed model than, than it actually is. <laughs> and if it's 3D printed, you, of course, don't get any color unless you're using a full color, but you're probably not going to do that. Um, but yeah, still, it's a very, very useful technique for the right applications. Perfect. Yeah, I think that con concludes it for our topic of the week. Absolutely. Should we ask uh, ask her? <laughs> I, I, I can never get that right. Should we ask her? Ask, <laughs> should we answer one one last quick question? Yes, go ahead for it. And we are not one hundred percent sure if we have already been talking about that in the last yeah. podcast. But yeah, if we, you have questions, send them in. Uh, we try to answer them. Just leave them under the video uh, on YouTube. Yeah, Grogian. Why? Yes. Grogian is asking on YouTube, have you tried to print directly onto copper clad board with a normal plastic extruder, so your normal 3D printed wood, with, say, a 0.25 millimeter nozzle? Um, Stefan, have, have you tried that? I haven't been trying it so far. No, we have been talking about that last time in uh, um, together with the PCBs or... Yeah, with the PCBs. Um, no, I have been trying. I haven't been trying it. I think we concluded that just using a, a marker pen is more simple than getting the plastic to stick on your copper clad. Yeah, and I mean, that's exactly what I'm going to do. The The issue I see with getting plastic to stick on, on copper clad is, first of all, you need a material that actually sticks to copper. Um, copper does oxidize fairly quickly and... Um, you know, not everything sticks to it unless it's like super preheated, maybe with a flexible filament that sticks pretty well, maybe with a PTG that is super sticky. 
but I'm, I'm doubtful that your normal materials will actually bond to a copper. Um, and then also they need to bond well enough so that your etching solution doesn't creep underneath your 3D printed mm. part and etch away things that weren't perfectly covered mm. because that that's the entire reason why you would print onto a copper clad is to create an etch resist basically that keeps the um well the acid the the, the etching solution away from the parts that you want to keep mm. and that just needs to be perfectly smooshed down onto your copper and make a really good seal mm. and it's way and harder then, to just yeah. check in comparison to other um well if you're using a pen or other edge resist uh, techniques because you can you can never be sure if if uh, all the material is is sticking well at each place yeah all right fantastic episode um as always if you guys have any questions leave them in the youtube comments below we read each and every one of them or tweeted us at the melt zone stefan thank you for your time thank you for your time Listeners, thank you for your time and viewers. <laughs> and we see you guys around in the next one. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. <laughs>